They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. He has risen. Come on, let's celebrate this morning. Amen. Come on, come on. Grab, grab a seat. We're hanging out real briefly this morning in the book of Malachi. And you might think, oh, but it's Easter Sunday, Matt. Why are we doing the Bible reading plan? But wait till we get to Malachi and you'll see. Okay. So uh, if you open your Bibles to the book of Malachi, and, and it's going to come up on the screen in a bit when we read just a little bit of it. Um, let me give you a little bit of context about Malachi. Malachi was a prophet. Uh, in the Old Testament, and he was a prophet uh, after the time of kind of Ezra, Nehemiah, the guys that we've been reading about. He came a little bit later, okay, just after that time. And, and he came around the time the temple had, had finished being rebuilt and all of that kind of thing was going on. And um, Malachi came to speak for God to the people of Israel at that time. And the reason he came to speak to them is because of this, right? The people were living in the land. And they were not following God. And God calls them to be sent off into captivity by the Babylonians and the Assyrians and all of that. We, we know that bit of the story, right? They weren't following God. And so bad things happened and they got led off into captivity. But 70 years later, God restored them back to the land. And they came back and they rebuilt the temple and they reestablished the law and they rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem. And it was all looking really good, right? Except it wasn't good. It was like exile had no impact on them. They didn't learn their lesson. Nothing changed about who they were. Once the temple was rebuilt, once the walls were reestablished, once the priests were put back in place to teach the law, everything just went back to how it used to be. The good old days 
when they worshipped all kinds of gods and did all kinds of foolish things and they just didn't follow the ways of the Lord. And so Malachi is raised up as a prophet to go to them to say, guys, what are you playing at? Don't you remember the exile? Don't you remember how God took you out of the land and then he restored you? What is going on? Why are you going back to your old ways? And Malachi comes at this point, and it's into that context that the opening line of Malachi gets spoken. And the opening line of Malachi is basically God speaking directly to them. Here's what he says. I love this. This is what God says. I have loved you, says the Lord. I have loved you, says the Lord. Imagine, imagine being God, loving these people, saving them out of Egypt, bringing them to a land of their own, going through all the things that they did and how they treated you and disobeyed you and turned away from you and worshipped other gods and all of that. And, and you restore all of that. And, and then you deal with it again. And then you restore them again. And you deal with it again. You restore them again. You've done it again. And they've messed you around again. And yet the thing that God says is, I have loved you. I have loved you. I have loved you. And, and as you go through Malachi, we're not going to go through the whole thing today, but a little kind of overview for you. As you go through Malachi, you learn about some of the ways that God has loved his people. So from kind of verse uh, six down, you get this whole thing about the temple. And you think, well, how does that tell us that God has loved his people? Well, it tells us God loved his people because he said, build me a house in your midst. I want to hang out with you. I want to be with you. I want my name to dwell where you are. Like, that's how much I love you. I want relationship with you. I want to be where you are. So, so I gave you the temple. I gave you the instructions to build the temple. Like, I have loved you, and I gave you myself. I gave you my very presence. But you profane the temple. You, you, you abuse it. You don't do it properly. You, you, you worship other gods there. You reject my love. You reject what I've given you. Then he goes on in Malachi and he talks about the priests. And you think, well, what's that got to do with God's love? Well, God says, I loved you. I gave you the priesthood. I gave you a, a way of dealing with your sin, a way of making things right. I gave you a law to follow. I gave you all of this stuff that the priesthood does for you to offer you my love and my help. But your priests, they don't do their jobs properly. They treat this like it's some kind of hobby that they can dip in and out of and they can choose all kinds of other things. He's like, I gave you this as a sign of my love and you rejected my love. And then he goes on later and he talks about marriage. And he's like, I've, I've given you relationship with one another. I gave you marriage. I gave you one another. But look at the way that you're treating your wives, men. Look at what is going on. Like you're abusing the relationships that I gave you right from Genesis 1, right from the beginning. I gave you all this as a sign of my love that you would have relationship with others that bore my image. And look how you treat one another. You reject my love. So that's kind of what's going on in Malachi. You guys with me? I know there's a bit of hustle and bustle going on, but, but stick with me here, all right? Malachi basically is saying, hey, guys, God has told you that he loves you. 
But everything that he's given you to show his love for you, you just reject his love again and again on all these different levels. I want to zoom in today just on the very first few verses and talk really briefly about how this is a sign of God's love. I don't know if you ever read these first few verses and thought, that's weird. What a weird couple of verses, right? But the opening goes like this. This is, this is chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, okay? <clears throat> a prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Have I not loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated? I don't know about you, but I read that. The very first time I read that, and I thought, yeah, it looked like some of your faces looked like. What? Like, how, what does that mean? I have loved you. Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Have I not loved Jacob and Esau I have hated? Like, what does that even mean? And then I read it again and again and again. And I just, I just kept reading these verses over and over because I thought there's something going on here that I'm missing, right? And, and eventually the penny dropped, and I was like, oh. <laughs> so hang with me here. Jacob and Esau were brothers. You know the story, right? Okay. Esau, the hairy red one. Jacob, the deceiver, the, the heel grabber. Okay. The twins that were born and he grabbed the heel of Esau as he was coming out and all that kind of thing. And, and you'll know this story that as they grew up, there was tension between them. Um, and Jacob deceived Esau and deceived his father and all these kind of things happened. It was messy family, right? Really messy family. Lots of terrible things that were going on. Great episode of EastEnders. Um, but literally terrible. And, and you think, well, what's going on here? And, and, and here's where the penny dropped for me when I realized this. Is not Esau Jacob's brother, but Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. Esau was the elder brother. Jacob was the younger brother. Esau was the firstborn. Okay? And if you go back to that culture all those years ago, here's how life works. If you are the firstborn, like I am, then you get everything, all right? It's all yours. When your parents go, are you paying attention? When your parents go, all right, you get it all. You get the, what is called the birthright, okay? The name is yours. The line is carried on through you. So you get the wealth and the house and the inheritance and everything else that comes with it. And the others, well, they kind of get whatever the crumbs you're willing to give them, essentially, is kind of how it works, all right? But hopefully you're a good godly person, you look after your family. But essentially, the firstborn gets it all, and the others get diddly squat, not the farm, all right? Literally diddly squat, okay? They get nothing. They get nothing. Um, and, and that's kind of how it worked. And then when I was reading this, I was like, oh, I get it now. You see, Israel, the people that lived in the land, who were they descended from, Jacob or Esau? Jacob. They were descended from the younger brother. They were descended from the one that didn't deserve anything. They were descended from the one who wasn't entitled to anything. Esau was entitled to it all. Jacob was entitled to nothing. And yet God said, I have loved Jacob, and Esau I have hated or made low. Okay, I have... I've pushed him aside and shown my favor to Jacob. I've shown my favor to the one who didn't deserve it. And the one who did, the one who was entitled, I haven't given it to them. I've given it to the other one. We use these, these words, grace and mercy. You all know these words, right? We sing about them. We talk about them quite a lot. 
I feel like it took me years to fully understand what grace and mercy actually meant. And probably for years and years, I almost used them interchangeably to mean the same thing. When I was a teenager, I used to write little worship songs on my guitar, and I'd throw the words grace and mercy in there, thinking they all meant the same thing, basically. And then one day, someone gave me this little phrase, and I was like, oh, okay. So I'm going to share it with you. This is how you understand grace and mercy. Grace is when we get given that which we do not deserve, okay? So something I don't deserve gets given to me anyway. Mercy is when I don't get given that which I do deserve, all right? So I, I am a sinner. You might not have known that, okay? But I get things wrong. And sometimes I'm not all that faithful to God, and I'm a human being, and I make mistakes. The Bible calls that sin. <laughs> I am a sinner, okay? And I deserve death. That's what the Bible tells me. All sin leads to death. But God's mercy means that I don't get that death. I don't get what I do deserve. Grace, well, I'm not deserving of anything other than death. I don't deserve his love. I don't deserve his favor. I don't deserve his life, his hope, his peace, his joy. I don't deserve his goodness. I don't deserve any of that. I don't deserve the very breath that I breathe. And yet, by his grace, I get given all of that anyway. I don't deserve it, but he gives it to me. Did you see that? Here's what happened. Jacob received grace and mercy. He received grace and mercy. He received that which he was not worthy of. Now, in the economy of, in, or in the grand scheme of things, in the bigger picture, in the biblical narrative, who is the firstborn son? The only begotten son, Jesus. Jesus is the firstborn son. Jesus is the one who deserves it all. Jesus is the one who the birthright belongs to. Jesus is the one that all the glory belongs to, the life. All of that belongs to Jesus. All of that belongs to Jesus. We are Jacob. He is Esau, the firstborn. And yet, he became nothing. He became hated so that we could be loved. Do you see that? Do you see that? God says, I have loved you. Is not Esau Jacob's brother? And I've loved Jacob and Esau I have hated. The firstborn I have brought down so that the one who was low I could lift up and give life to. He became the hated one. He became the one who was literally hung on a cross that was for criminals. People who were hated were hung on crosses. He became the hated one. The firstborn, only begotten son of God became the hated one so that we who deserve nothing could be given life, could receive his love. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 tells us that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that incredible? The one who had no sin became the one who carried all the sin so that those of us that had sin could become righteous in his eyes. Ah, oh, I have loved you, says the Lord. I have loved you. Do you not see it? I have loved you. Now, I want to throw out something out there. I think that some of us struggle to understand uh, the love of God. I think that some of us struggle at times to experience the love of God. 
I think that sometimes we just can't grasp the fact that he loves us. We don't understand just how big that is. And do you know why I think we struggle with that? I think we struggle with that because we believe the lie of the world. And this might offend some of you, so just hang on till I get to the end before you start throwing stuff at me, okay? All right? But this might offend some of you. In fact, when I first realized it, I felt a little bit offended by it myself. All right? But here's the lie that we believe. You believe the lie that says you are worthy. You believe the lie that says you are good. You believe the lie that says you are enough and that you're lovable anyway. I want to tell you today that that's not true. Every one of us is filthy in our sin. Every one of us is marred by it and is dirty. And we are not worthy and we are not good. But when we believe the lie of the world that tells us that we are good enough as we are, that's it. Actually, something happens. We, we know deep down that it's not true. We, we know it, right? I think we do. I think we know deep down that that isn't true. So what we do then is we start to try to convince other people and, and ourselves and even God that we are worthy, that we are lovable. And we strive with everything we've got to prove to people around us that we're worthy of their love. We, we strive to tell ourselves that we're worthy to be loved. We strive to tell God that, that we're worthy to be loved because we bought the lie that we are worthy to be loved. But that's just not what the Bible teaches. God doesn't love you because you are worthy to be loved. He loves you because he is love. He loves you because he loved you first, before you did anything, before anything else happened, before you tried to tell yourself, the world, and him that you were worthy to be loved. He loved you anyway, because that's who he is. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says this, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us anyway. We were never worthy. We never got it all together. We could never prove to him that we were worthy to be loved. He just loved us because that's who he is. And every time you come to him, no matter where you're at, no matter what your life looks like, again and again and again, you will find that he loves you anyway because that's who he is. That's who he is. He's always going to love you. Not to do with anything that you do. There's nothing that you can do. You're not worthy to it, uh, to be loved. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 and 5 tell us that he chose us. He chose us. He chose to love you. It wasn't anything that you did. He just decided to love you. 1 Peter chapter, uh, chapter 2 verse 24 says that he bore our sins on the cross so that we might die to sin and live. He did it. He did it. He wants to bring us to life. He wants to bring us into what it means to know his love. He did it all. So I'm going to land with this. Malachi speaks the words of God to a people that are in a messy situation. And I think, quite honestly, we're in a messy situation. I think our world's in a messy situation. And I think we need to hear these words really clearly again. Us in here and them out there. We all need to hear it around planet Earth. We need to hear these words. I have loved you, says the Lord. I have loved you, says the Lord. But they replied, how have you loved us? How have you loved us? And God's reply, isn't Esau Jacob's brother? 
Have I not loved Jacob and Esau I have hated? How has he loved us? He took the firstborn. He took his only begotten son. And he nailed him to the cross of a criminal and made him the hated one. So that we could be brought to life. So that we could know his love. Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 to 14 tell us that he nailed it all to the cross, making us alive. It's all over the scriptures, guys. The cross, the cross is how we know he loves us. That is it. And so I want to challenge you today, because I think that throughout our lives we go through different things, and sometimes we hit really challenging things, right? And we start to question, does God even love me? Like, is he even there? Like, that happens at times. And I want to, I want to say to you today, if you ever hit that point, and you're not sure if he loves you. Hear the words of Malachi, who says that God loves you. End of. How do you know that? We look to the cross where we see the firstborn son, the only begotten son, the one who deserves all the inheritance, the one who deserves everything to be given to him. And we see him made the hated one, nailed to a criminal's cross so that we could receive all that he deserved. That's how we know that he loves us. It's got nothing to do with our experience. It's got nothing to do with what the world around us tells us. It's got nothing to do with what you can prove to the people around you or even try and prove to God himself. How do you know that he loves you? Because Jesus died for you. John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world, that means you, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. You are not condemned when you come to Jesus. He did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. When you come to Jesus, all you're going to find is that he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Guys, that's all I want to bring out today. That is it. I want you to hear that. Wherever you're at today, whatever you've been experiencing, on this Resurrection Sunday, know that God says to you, I have loved you. And if like the people in Malachi, you're like, yeah, but how have you loved me, God? Look at this mess. Look at that. Look at all this pain. Look at... If you're asking that, then hear him say this. Was not Esau Jacob's brother? And know that what he's saying is, did I not take my eldest son, my firstborn, and put him in your place so that you could have his place and you have received and will receive all that he wants to give you. The life, the hope, the joy, the peace. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Oh, Nath, why don't you come? We're going to worship. Um, and I just want to invite you guys today. If you need to know that he loves you again, look to the cross of Jesus. Look to the cross of Jesus and know that no matter what you're feeling, no matter what you're going through, no matter what people around you are telling you, no, no matter how bad things seem, no matter how unworthy you might feel and how much you feel you have to strive, no matter what any of that says to you, God just says to you, I have loved you and I've shown you at the cross. Why don't we stand? Why don't we stand? Let's just pray. Father God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you, Lord, that you have loved us. We thank you, God, that you gave your one and only son who was worthy of it all. And you brought him down to be the lowest of the low. 
that we might receive the life and the inheritance that is his, that we might be brought into right relationship with, with you. We thank you for that, Jesus. And I pray, Holy Spirit, now, just come, rest upon us. Rest upon each one in this place. And remind us again that you have loved us and that you always will. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong, perfectly, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and waits for me. My name is graven on his hands, my name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me children as I look down upon you now and see your worship you bring a smile to my face I want you to know that you walk in my will I want you to know that as you have heard this day I love you so much but I also want you to know this is just the beginning because I have far much more for you than you could ever realize you have experienced healing in this place through your prayers and this will continue you've experienced the release of my spirit afresh in your hearts and in your lives and this will continue you will be brought down before me because this is my will for you as you seek to serve me. I want to bless you this day. I want you to know that I walk before you. I walk behind you and you are with me. And as my Holy Spirit now continues to rest on you, I will bring you joy. I will bring you blessing. And I will bring you release in my spirit. Amen. I just want you and nothing else. And nothing else. Nothing else will do. I just want you nothing else 
nothing else, nothing else will do. in us for the peace and the joy and the goodness but most of all Lord we thank you for Jesus we thank you for who you are we thank you for what you've done for what you are doing and all that you are yet to do and God today we say that's the cry of our hearts as we look to the cross and the empty tomb and we see the hope and the possibility that is there. We just want you. We just want you and all that you give. That's our prayer today. Amen. Amen.